0: If you would turn to 1 Samuel 17, the title of the message is going to be David and Saul, a contrast. David and Saul, a contrast. This is a pretty familiar theme and scripture verse and section that's been preached on quite a few times. Everyone commonly looks at it, is, calls it David and Goliath. What I'm going to say to begin with is it's not veggie tales, though you know VeggieTales they have it David and the Giant Pickle a lesson in self esteem that is not what this chapter is all about VeggieTales that whole theme of that thing is with God's help humans can accomplish anything that we set our minds to and I'm saying that's not what he's saying here you know he's not saying well I want to be an astronaut but I'm only five foot six and I'm not too smart but God can overcome all of that that's not what it's like or you know that movie they had facing the Giants, you know, our, our football team stinks, but with God's help, you know, we can win, kick the winning field goal. So <laughs> I don't think that's exactly what we're going to be getting at tonight, all right? So just kind of supposed to be humorous, but whatever. The setting we have here, though, we have the Philistines. They've come to the western edge of Judah to fight, and you've got the two armies, are, they're lined up facing each other, and they're on the sides of two mountains, and there's this big valley that's in between them, and the estimate is that valley was about a mile wide that was in between the army of the Philistines and the army of Israel. You know, you look there in verses 1 and 2 and it says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Soko, which belongeth to Judah, pitch and pitched between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdemen." And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was this valley that was between them. So they're all set to fight. They're facing each other in this valley. And we know the next thing that happens in our story is what? Out comes the champion, Goliath. And so we have that in verse four. And there went out. A champion. Actually, it just says a man, but he's a champion in that he's one that stood out. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That's nine foot nine inches. So it's interesting. Goliath's name is only mentioned twice in this chapter. It's mentioned once here in verse four, and he's mentioned again in verse 23. And he is called the Philistine, though, 28 times. And you're going to give him the respect of giving him his name. He's called the Philistine 28 times in this chapter 17. The other interesting thing is there's a long description of him given in verses 4 to 7. It's not typical for the Old Testament. Generally, they'll just refer to somebody as a king, a shepherd, whatever, a prophet. They don't get into these long physical descriptions. But let's read how it describes him because it's trying to paint a picture. And beginning in verse 4, it says, There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Like I said, it's nine. He's pretty tall. So it's anywhere from seven feet to nine foot, almost 10 feet tall. That's tall, however you want to measure that. In verse five, it says, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. This guy is an imposing figure, and all that brass that's on him, what's significant about that is that when the sun would hit that, I mean, it's just like this shining monster is facing these armies. I mean, he would have been a very imposing figure, and this huge beam, just everything about him is huge. I mean, he's a monster that's coming at him. So... I'm asking you, what does Goliath represent? Is he a giant pickle? Is that what he represents? And, you know, we know what he represents. I mean, in a sense, he's the devil incarnate, but really he's through the devil. What happens through Goliath is like our trials of life. The people, the circumstances we come up against, the demonic influences that we're facing, you know, things that just seem insurmountable. And that's why they're painting this picture. It's like this guy is an insurmountable figure. He's just somebody nobody's going to be able to overcome. Things that are insurmountable, unconquerable, and undefeatable. That's kind of what he represents. In other words, problems and situations we get into that are greater than us. That's what Goliath looks like. That's what he is. When you're faced with things like that, what does it do? It exposes people's hearts, and it exposes people's intentions, doesn't it? Whenever we're faced with anything like that. And that's what happens in this story. You know, he's just the devil's fury against humans. Isn't that what he is? The thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. And when those things come, all these Goliaths that the world faces to the world, they are insurmountable. Because to them, to tell somebody you can overcome lust, anger, mental illness, fears, your wayward children, your marital problems, drug addiction, or even death, and the world looks at that like there's no way. No way. Not without some help. And a lot of that's just with coping. And those kinds of things that I just mentioned there, what do they do when, when people are faced with that in the world? It just strikes fear in their heart, doesn't it? It does. And you got your children going crazy. It's like, man, what am I going to do? And that's what it's all about. That's what this Goliath's all about. And the world does have their ways of dealing with their Goliaths, don't they? I mean, they have their drugs. They got counseling. They have whatever. But really, all of that stuff, what does it do? It just helps you cope i know a young man that was a very nice young man he was a big guy he was huge and he had been to watch the exorcist and his mother well i knew his his best friend even said this guy was the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet just a calm person played on a football team got good grades and he went and saw that thing and he came home and he's literally tearing up his bedroom he's going ballistic And his mother had no idea, how do I handle him? She eventually had to call the police. They didn't put two and two together, and I didn't at the time. I'm just thinking, man, that's strange. Went and saw the exorcist and da-da-da-da-da. Later you realize, well, he picked up a, a spirit through that. But it just totally changed. What I'm getting at is she could not cope with this. You know, I don't know what church she went to, but they hadn't taught her that, you know, this is something you can deal with. It's a spiritual problem. And so she did the only thing she knew to do. And they put him in a mental hospital, and they gave him drugs. It calmed him down, but it really never dealt with the issue that was there. It just got him, and he was able to cope. I knew this young man, and when I got saved or whatever, he came over to an apartment I was at. Well, he was out of the mental hospital, and he was working a job, and by all accounts, you know, he seemed to be doing fine. But that underlying spiritual condition and whatever spirits he picked up never got dealt with. He came, and this brother I lived with, The two of us, uh, he'd been saved a lot longer. I said, can you come down? And this guy's saying he wants to be saved. And the brother just gently explained to him. He says, well, you know, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be willing to give everything to the Lord Jesus Christ and just commit your life to him. I'm telling you, I have never seen such hatred all of a sudden come over this guy's face. Dave was his name, and I like Dave. It was a total personality change. This voice that came out of him was not Dave. And he says, I'll never do that. And he got up and walked right out of that. I never saw him again. You can cope with things. The world has its ways of coping, but it's a supernatural problem, isn't it? The world's ways of dealing with their Goliaths, and I understand that's all they know, but then God's way of dealing with the Goliaths is not that way, is it? It's supernatural. That's the way the Lord presents us, that we can deal with it. And when He deals with it, there's real deliverance, isn't there? And there's true freedom. And you don't have to fear him anymore because the Goliath is laying there slain with his head missing. At the seminary, you know, they want to make everything Jesus. And so David is not us as a believer. It's Jesus. Okay, fine. And Jesus slew the devil who was Goliath. That's fine. In a sense, that is what happened. But when we are in him... What the Bible New Testament teaches is we're able to do what he did. Isn't that what the New Testament teaches? We're filled with the same spirit he had. We have the same power he had. Now, we're not Jesus, but, well, he said that himself. The works that I do, you can do also. And he sent the 12 out. Then he sent the 70 out. Then he sent the church out to do what he did. Amen? That's what should be happening. And I believe that's what the Bible teaches. So I think instead of looking at this tonight, as David and Goliath, David versus Goliath, I'm thinking, we're gonna look at it tonight Is this is David and Saul. What I'm seeing here is this is the contrast between a spirit-filled life and a life that is filled with the flesh and how they're dealing with a trial. So we have the setting, we have these two armies, they're facing off with each other in the valley. And then we have the antagonist coming out, Goliath. He's the troublemaker, he's the trial. What we have next is how these two men, that's what we have in this chapter, is the contrast between how these two men deal with the troublemaker, God's enemies. And then we just need to see where do we fit in? Where do we fit in that whole formula? So first I want to look at Saul. And let's look at his reaction to Goliath when he comes out. Beginning in verse 8. And here Goliath comes out, verse 8, and it says, He, Goliath, stood and cried. And really that word for cried means he shouted, or more specifically, he roared unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if, if I prevail against him and kill him, then, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And look what we have here in verse 11. Here's Saul's reaction. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, what does it say? What was their reaction? They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now here's the thing that's ironic about this is Saul is greatly afraid of this Philistine and that is the commission that God had given him as the king of Israel was to do what? Was to fight the Philistines. He had no reason to be afraid of them. And saying that was God's will for Saul's life at this time. That's the very reason that Samuel anointed him to be king for that very reason. If you're there, we're going to work our way back towards 17 if you go through 1 Samuel and see the life of Saul. We're not going to read every chapter, obviously, be here all night. But if you go back to chapter 9, I want to show you where that was the purpose of Saul's life. was not to be afraid, not to be dismayed, but to fight the Philistines. So we look in 1 Samuel, look what it says in chapter 9 verses 15 and 16. It says right here, now it says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, He said, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man out of the land of Benjamin, and you will anoint him to be captain over my people Israel. And here's what he says he's going to do, that he may save my people out of the hand of whom? The Philistines. He said, God says, For I've looked upon my people because their cry has come unto me. Here's the ironic thing. Who should have been the champion of Israel? Saul. Saul, He was anointed king to do that. And you tell me that if he'd have done that in faith that God wouldn't have blessed him, he would have. That was his whole purpose. My question would be, we've seen how Saul is in chapter 17. Was Saul always that fearful from the time he was anointed by Samuel? Or was he just always a fearful person? Look in 1 Samuel 11. We're in 9, go over to 11. And look what it says in verse 6. He wasn't always a person of the flesh, so to speak. Begin in verse 4. What's happened here leading up to this real quick? Nahash the Ammonite has come and he's told the men of Jabesh Gilead, he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to attack you all. And they're like, well, can we make a covenant? And he says, the only covenant I'm going to make is if you all take out your eyes up there in verse Two, it says, Nahash to Ammonite, on this condition I'll make a covenant with you that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for a reproach. He's going to reproach them upon all Israel. They come and tell Saul that. Look in verse 4. And then came the messengers of Gibeah of Saul and told the tidings in the ear of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field. And Saul said, well, what ails the people that they weep? And they told him what the tidings of the men of Jabesh were. Told him what those guys said. And look what happens here. Verse 6, the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those things. And it says his anger was kindled greatly. He went on the attack. He gathered the people together. He was not afraid at this point. Look down at verse 11 of chapter 11 it says, And it was so on morrow that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. And I mean, that was a great victory. And so the people in verse 12, the people said unto Samuel, Where are those guys that said... Shall Saul reign over us? Just bring him here, and we'll put him to death. And here's the humility of Saul at this point. Verse 13, And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, because he says why? For today the Lord has wrought salvation in Israel. At this point, Saul is following the Lord. He's obeying what he's told to do. He's reacting in the right way. God had given him this commission against the Philistines. The Spirit of God comes on him. He goes out in faith and attacks these men, the Philistines. And when he has the victory, he's not claiming victory for anything, is he? The Lord did it, he said. I mean, at this point, this had been a good time for Saul to die because everything was cool in the life of Saul. It really was. And that's the way It was. And God told him, he said, told Saul and the people, he said, if you guys keep this up, everything's going to be fine. When you look over in chapter 12, that's what he tells him through Samuel. Look in chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. After this victory, Samuel tells him, the people and Saul, if you'll fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord then shall both you and also the king that reigns over you continue following the Lord. Everything will be good. He says, but verse 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. After that, though, the career of Saul starts going downhill a little bit. God told him, and that's what he tells us, doesn't he? If we'll obey the voice of the Lord, just do what He says, and we're all Spirit-filled. You do that, and God's Spirit will be on you, and you'll be victorious. He says, if we don't obey what we know that we're supposed to do, if we're hearers and not doers of the Word, then He says, it's going to be the reverse. That's fair enough, isn't it? I think it is. I mean, God is just and righteous and fair. But the trouble with Saul began when his faith started becoming less in God and more in people. He started trusting in his numbers. And look over in 1 Samuel 13 and beginning in verse 7, it says, And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal. And all of a sudden, the people are starting to wonder. All the people following him are trembling. So he doesn't quite have the support. He doesn't like that. And it says, he tarried seven days, verse 8, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So his faith is not in the Lord, is it? It's really bothering him that the people aren't with him like they were. And Samuel hasn't come. Where's my buddy Samuel? So God hadn't forsaken him, though, had he? He hadn't, but he's, he's struggling, Saul is. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Shouldn't have done that. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering and the burnt offering. Behold, who came? Samuel shows up. Dun, 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 dun. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, I saw the people were scattered from me. And he should have seen that God wasn't scattered from him, though. No. And he says, they left me though, and you didn't come, you weren't here either. And the Philistines were gathered themselves together at Michmash, and therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I haven't made supplications unto the Lord, and I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly, because you have not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now the kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because you have not kept that which the Lord commanded you. You go to the next chapter, chapter 14. His son Jonathan had the faith that Saul should have had, because Jonathan didn't have a lot of people either. And what did he do? He went down into that garrison. It was just him and his buddy, wasn't it? And he said, hey, the Lord can save by the two of us. He doesn't need a great army to defeat these men. And that's what true faith would be, isn't it? Because that's the way it is. And so Saul's afraid when he's losing the support of the people there going up up against a larger army, it just spilled on over and kept spilling over into Goliath. But look at Jonathan's faith just briefly in chapter 14, verse 6. And it says there, Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, come and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. He sounds like David. And it says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. For he says, there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or to save by few. Wow. And the Lord will do that, won't he? It can seem like we're totally outnumbered. Our circumstances are, they're not in good. You know, the odds aren't good in Vegas for what we're going through right now. But God doesn't care about any of that. And that's what Jonathan said. The Lord doesn't need a lot. He doesn't need favorable circumstances, does he? As we go over to 1 Samuel 15, and this is where Saul kind of loses it. He has turned back from following the Lord. 1 Samuel 15 the Lord sees he'd been given a direct commandment to utterly destroy all of the Amalekites because of what they had done to Israel years before. It was a clear command, and he didn't do it. And so look in verse 11, the Lord speaks to Samuel, and it says, he, It repents me, I have set up Saul to be king, because he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose up early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul... Came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and passed down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Saul is happy, because he's got the people happy, and it just seems like a complete victory to him. Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel's like, Uh uh-uh. uh. What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said unto Saul, just quit talking for a second, please. And I'll tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said, "Okay, say on. And Samuel said, and this is telling here, when you were little in thine sight, Wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, fight against them until they be consumed. And why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? But you flew upon the spoil, and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Oh, no, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, verse 21, took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said these famous words. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. When you get that much in the flesh, you know what you're more worried about, and this is what we have to watch for, isn't it? that we, all of us, all of us have to watch for this because this can happen from the beginning of our salvation up to now, but it can just happen from one month to the next to where you can have a victory. Saul had a great victory. And when you start getting away from the Lord and away from, you know, my purpose is to obey what God has given me to do, then things start going awry. And then instead of being more concerned about what God thinks about what you're doing, you become what? become more concerned about what people think. That's a sign of a bad spiritual condition. And that's what was happening to Saul. He was way more concerned about what people think. Jesus said this in John five, he says, how can you believe? Because it affects your faith. It does when you're more concerned about what people think it's going to. We've got a message. The Bible has a message, it's not us. Just when you follow what the Bible says, you're going to have people thinking a lot of things. It's going to be a lot of pressure to compromise, isn't it? And so if God's not first in your life, you're going to run into problems. And that's what happened to Saul. Jesus says, how can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? Chapter 16 has the key to what happened in chapter 17. Okay, so if you look in chapter 16 in verse 13, here's what made the difference between the two men in chapter 17. It says, verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brethren. And what happened to David? The Spirit of the Lord did what? It literally says it rushed upon him. That's what it says. It came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel rose up and went to Ramah but look what it says in verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord did what? It departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And that's what we have to ask ourselves. We need to see from that, you know, that we can start off well, but if you keep going on at decline, eventually the Spirit of the Lord, when He leaves you like that, then you just have nothing. I mean, you face your Goliath. There's nothing there, is there? Whatever our trials, tribulations, whatever the situations in our life that are bigger than us, we cannot face them in our flesh, can we? We are not bigger than the devil. We're not bigger than any of these circumstances that come along our way. And, you know, we got to get back to where, what did Samuel remind Saul of? He goes, you remember when you were little in your sight. And we need to keep that gratitude ever burning in our heart that why did he choose me? And that should keep that flame going, shouldn't it? I mean, I was nothing, and and yet God chose me. And Saul, yet, was getting full of himself, I think, is what happened. And he's kind of taking things in his own hand, but if we just keep this attitude that, man, he chose me of all people. I didn't deserve it, the Lord of glory chose me. But what happens is then the disobedience, you'll lose your zeal, it'll put you in fear, and then what happens is your communion with God, it just really isn't there, isn't it? I mean, that's what happens a lot of time. All of us need to ask ourselves, has your love for the Lord gone faint? Because it can happen slowly over time. What I want to hasten to say is, does that mean it's all over? Because I'm saying, you're like, ah, man, I fit Saul perfectly tonight, and I'm not thinking of anybody at all. Well, look what happened to him. It was the Spirit of the Lord departed, and he ended up committing suicide. Is that going to be my end? I'm saying no. Because here's what we have in the New Testament listen wherever we're at he knows where we're at when he speaks to the churches at the book of revelations he's telling them i see your works i see everything you're doing you know we all know we're not hiding anything from him are we we can hide things from each other but we're not hiding anything from him and here's what he told the church at ephesus he says tells them many things they're doing that are good and they had a lot of good qualities just like we can have a lot of good qualities here But he says to him in verse four of Revelation two, he says, nevertheless, he says, I have somewhat against thee because you have left your first love. And Saul did that, didn't he? Our Lord didn't put a period there in Revelation two at the end of verse four. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. He didn't put a period there. Next thing he says is though, remember, think back of your first days when you committed your life to the Lord. There's something that had to happen to you that made you decide you're going to go forward and I want to be a Christian and give my life to him forever, right? Something happened to happen with all of us. Everybody should have that testimony. And he's saying, go back and remember that like Saul should have done. Remember when you were little in your own eyes. Remember when you think all I deserve is to go to hell. God have mercy on me. Lord, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you want. He says, remember. From whence you are fallen. And then the next thing he says is what? He doesn't say it's all over. Repent. It's never too late to repent, as the sermon goes, until it's too late. You're still breathing. God's still dealing with you. And he says, repent. And then he doesn't even leave it there, does he? What does he say? Do the first works. Go back to where you were. Saul could have done that. He didn't. But it wasn't God keeping him from doing it. What if Saul would have repented and gone back and done what he did at the beginning? Jesus said that's an open invitation to us. He's saying we can do that. Maybe we're not where we want to be. I mean, I, I think that about myself. I'm not talking to any of you. I'm talking about myself. Where are you at today, I asked myself. And it helps me sometimes to think back when i got saved where was i at what was my relationship with the lord and also the times when i've got that communion with the lord right when i'm in his word when i'm praying for me i'll have things happen to where i'm like you know what you don't pray and i've talked about this before. you don't pray about things enough you don't commune with the lord enough you can't wonder why it's not exactly working the way you want to and then as soon as you repent from that get back into that there's a change that takes place isn't it you all know what i'm talking about i hope you do but it works that way for me that's what i think we see here with saul though we got to watch that you know if you let yourself digress and it can happen to anybody that's why it's set here then you end up you're trying to deal with things in the flesh and that just isn't going to work is it there won't be any power there there's not going to be any victory and the goliath is going to leave you in fear and trembling he's going to overwhelm you you know in contrast to that we got david and you know it's funny The way this is written, you've got this whole story presenting itself in chapter 17, and there's this tension that builds up. The two armies are setting themselves together, and here comes Goliath marching out into the valley with his big spear, and he's roaring at the crowd. And then you've got this thing here, he's roaring, send out your man and we'll fight and we'll see who the real champion is. And you got Saul and all the people, they're trembling and all that. Then all of a sudden it's like in a movie. You've got all this tension build up. Everyone's like, what's going to happen next? And then it's like the violence. are nah, nah, nah. And we've got this quiet little scene in Bethlehem with David and the sheep and his father. Look, that's what happens. Look in verse 12. Verse 11 you have Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines. They're dismayed and greatly afraid. And then Now David was the son of the Ephratite, of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shema. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. And look what it says about David. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Here is the contrast. It's already being painted between David and Saul. David is just humbly doing what God has given him to do at this time. Saul did have David in his courts, and he sent him back home because Saul's out busy fighting. And so David's not worried about all that, is he? He's just doing what God has given him to do. And what was that? To tend those sheep, he's in a low position. He's not worried about, hey, I'm in the king's court. I'm too good to be messing with these sheep. Right? He doesn't care about that, and that's the way it is. And here's what we got to sometimes ask ourselves, just as a little aside. You know, we sometimes can get discontent with where God has us and what He has us doing, and we want to have bigger, better things. All this ministry. So, I mean, sometimes we just have to be content to be the housewife, the construction worker and see God's hand moving that because God's hand did move when David was with the sheep, didn't it? He still had things he had to face and growth took place for him right there. What happens here, we're looking at this, the Philistine is persistently, verse 16, persistently seeking an Israelite soldier to fight and defeat. And this goes on, it says, for 40 days. Look in verse 16. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening, and presented Himself, it says, for how long? 40 days. He's calling out, choose a man. He's saying, let him come down to me, harassing them for 40 days. And isn't that the way the devil does many times? He doesn't let up. First Peter says, be sober Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that's what Goliath's doing right here. And just like Goliath keeps it up for 40 days and doesn't seem to get tired of doing it, the devil doesn't either, does he? He never gets tired, never gets weary, never gives up, doesn't get tired of roaring, never has laryngitis that I've ever noticed. He just keeps at it. And so he's shouting at God's people, and it just produces fear. And Saul and all of Israel, we read that in verse 11, are very afraid. But we need to see, when you're spirit-filled and all of that stuff starts coming at you, what should the reaction be? It should be like David's. Look, David's reaction is this, unlike Saul and the people. Look what it says. Spirit-filled reaction. Verse 26, it says, And David spake to the men that stood by him when he hears the Philistines, saying, Well, what shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach? from Israel. For who is, he says, this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I mean, like Who is this guy, this filthy Philistine? He's not the least bit afraid, is he? That's real easy, isn't it? A lot of times you're going to make the big boast. Who is this guy? What's he doing? I mean, that's like the big boast, right? The big boast of faith. A lot of times that's easy to do. When you do that you get all fired up and I'm going to trust the Lord and who's this filthy Philistine? You better get ready for some opposition because it's going to come your way because that's what happened to David. So you make a bold statement of faith and take this step and opposition's on its way because the first thing he has, he's got his older brother after him. Look in verse 28. Because what we see here with his older brother is you take a step of faith and trust the Lord. There's going to be people that are jealous because they're not. And they're going to be like, who do you think you are? You're better than me. So that's what happens here in verse 28. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He says, I know your pride and the naughtiness of thy heart. For you are come down and that you may see the battle. That's the first opposition David faces. I mean, It's like, what are you doing? It's aggravating me that you're down here saying what you're saying. You think you're better than all of us, you little squirt? (laughs) That's kind of what he's saying. And the other thing you have, and you look in verse 33, Saul's looking at his appearance, what he looks like. In verse 33 it says, Saul says to David, you're not able, you can't do this. You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. I mean, you ever heard that? You haven't even been saved two months and you're gonna take on this? Or you, you've only been a Christian a year and you're gonna step out like that? I'm saying that's what you'll hear a lot of times. And that opposition comes. It's like, you know, and sometimes we gotta just go against that opposition, right? To trust the Lord when we want to. And sometimes it'll come directly from the enemy. We see that in verses 42 to 44. It says, When the Philistine looked about and he saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. And ruddy, and of a fair countenance, and it said. The Philistine said unto David, "Am I a dog that you come to me with staves?" And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, "Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the airs, and unto the beast of the field." He's coming at him in his mind, his emotions. He's trying to produce fear, saying, "This is what all is going to happen to you if you dare to come against me." And that's the way it is. That's the kind of opposition we'll face. You get in trial of any kind and the devil's going to be like, who do you think you are? You think you're some kind of big shot? You haven't really been in this long enough? You really don't have the faith you think you have? And not only that, you just go on with this and you see what you look like when it's all over with. That's what the devil will tell you, no matter what it is. That's what you have to overcome. But what was the success? What was it though, because we know David had success, what was it that enabled him to overcome all the opposition and to see God's faithfulness? What was it? He counted the cost, wasn't it? So he wasn't afraid to die. Or he wouldn't have faced that Philistine, so he'd given his life to the true God of Israel. That was the first and foremost thing. But it wasn't just any God. What does it say in verse 36? Look what it says. Thy servant, David, he says, I've slown the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine, he says, shall be one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of whom? He says, of the living God. And that's whom David was following. And he knew it, the living God. That's Luke 14. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you've got to forsake all to be my disciple forsaking all, that's what faith is, I trust Him. The way it is, is when you've seen the King in His beauty, you see His love on the cross, but you also see the majesty and the power that He has, that's when someone like David who's seen that, or all the great saints of the Bible, or all the great saints of any time up to our present time, that's what happens. Because I've seen the King in His beauty. I've seen what He's done on the cross. And I see not only that, He's got all the power in the universe. He's the God of heaven and earth, the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 28. So I'm going to throw in everything to love, obey, and trust Him. And that's the way it works. He's worthy. Like it says about Moses, By faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And that's what will happen. So, you know, when Jesus was betrayed. Peter was struggling with that, wasn't it? Everything hadn't really dawned on him. He liked Jesus. He was following Jesus. He'd forsaken his fishing boat, but he still hadn't given up his whole life for him. Wasn't willing to lay down his life. And so he denied the Lord. And what was the change that took place? After Calvary, and he'd seen the risen Lord, It says at the end of Luke, God opened up their eyes to where they saw what the cross was all about and the resurrection. And not only that, on the day of Pentecost, they'd had days of prayer and soul searching. Peter and all of those disciples, the Holy Spirit came on those men. That's the difference, isn't it? A life of the flesh and the life of the spirit. Because when all of those things happened and the Holy Spirit came on Peter and all the disciples that were in that upper room, They were like David, weren't they? Facing Goliath. I mean, they've got a boldness that just wasn't there before. It's supernatural. It's not anything that's natural. They got opposition coming at them. Their lives are in danger. They didn't care, did they? And the power of God was operating through them. And just like, look, when that Philistine came out, David didn't shrink back at all. And you just don't see Peter and the early church shrinking back from the opposition and the trials that are coming their way. Silver and gold have I none, but I'll tell you, I know what I have. Rise up and walk. It's just like with David. When you're in the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, you know what to do. You know what to say, and you're not afraid of the enemy. You're not shrinking back in fear, and that's the difference. I'm thinking that is what we need here in these last days. We don't want to be a church that's in decline like the life of Saul. We're coping, but we're really not able to trust the Lord in the right way in the face of the enemy. What we need is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need more programs. We don't need any of that stuff. What we need is people that are dedicated prayer warriors sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience to Him going forth, amen, in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I'm preaching to myself. Everybody else can fall asleep, that's fine. But Paul says this. What's his command in Ephesians? Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It takes spiritual discipline. That comes from prayer, heart communion with the Lord. And that's where it comes from, conscious fellowship with him. We're talking about the contrast between life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. And Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. When those spiritual disciplines are in your life that produce that, then it's Galatians 5, 16. And Paul says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the only way we're going to overcome our doubts, our fears, our anger, all the works of the flesh that he names there is by what? By fulfilling that command, be ye filled with the Spirit. Whatever that takes, having your mind on the Lord, singing songs, being in the Word, all of that prayer, lots of prayer. And then we can do what it says to where we're walking in the Spirit because that's what we see with David. David was that way, wasn't he? The sweet psalmist, he's communing with the Lord. He doesn't care, I'll be out on the battlefield with the Philistine or I'm going to be here taking care of these few sheep but nothing's going to interrupt my communion with the Lord. And that's what made David special because it was the grace of God in his life. It was. And for us, it'll be the grace of God because we will tend to get off that path. And God in his grace brings us back many ways through messages that are preached, through friends that will rebuke you, through trials and chastisements that wake you up to your condition. But that's all God's grace. Getting us back and showing us we need to be in the Spirit. Isn't that what we want? I think that is what we want. And the other thing I see here in this chapter is that past victories will give us experiences in faith for our present battles. And look in verse 34 to 37. And we kind of read this, but David said to Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. He said, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And he says, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, moreover, the Lord that's delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, that same Lord will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. That is faith speaking. God has given every one of us a path to walk in, hasn't He? And along that path are going to come the lion and the bear. And we've got to take care of them through our little humble path of life, they're going to come and we need to take care of them, trusting in the Lord, taking care of them by faith. And God will help us through that, won't he? You know, the things to us, you think, well, who's going to care? I'm saying God's watching. Because you think anybody really would have cared if David would have allowed the lion or the bear to take one of those sheep, that one of those sheep are missing? No, but he knew that God cared. And he was going to meet his responsibilities, whether anybody else, nobody's watching him out there. But he's going to be faithful to the Lord. And that's what we have to do. It's the private victories that give us great faith. So it's the man that will not look at pornography in private that is going to be faithful to his wife when temptation comes. That's the way that's going to work. It's the person that faithfully pays their bills. It's not going to do something to make bigger money when some opportunity comes. It's those little things that develop that faith, that character, that trust in the Lord. So David at Ziglag, what happened to him then? He lost everything and everyone was against him. Yet it said, what did he do? It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. You, you all ever do that? where you look back and you're thinking, man, things seem like everything's against me, people are against me, but I look back and I'm thinking, man, I've been through that circumstance before. i felt like that before, and yet I realized God wasn't against me at all. He was with me, and that's what David did. He had to do that zigzag. God's been faithful in this situation, that situation. He'll continue to be faithful. And that's the way it's got to be, right? You get that bad news, you get that symptoms that are coming on or won't seem to go away you need to encourage yourself in the lord man he has delivered me from the lion and the bear and he'll deliver me from you mr devil talk with respect and that's the way it is he'll do it in his own time and his own way we just need to remember we taught a long time on ephesians 6 we've got to put on that armor don't we We've got to trust in the Word of God. We've got to live a righteous life, trust that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us His righteousness. We have to have on that helmet of salvation, that expectation, that hope, that God is not going to only deliver me now, He's going to deliver me in the future, the sword of the Spirit. We've got that, the Word of God, that it will be effective when we speak it and wield it. And that faith in God will work. All of those things. That's what we need. And the other thing, the last thing is, I think another key to the victory for David, having victory over the enemy, and this comes from also being in the Spirit, is that he was jealous for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the God of Israel at that time. And look what it says here in verses 44 to 47. It says, "...and the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air to the beast of the field." And then said David to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the shield. He says, but I come to you how? He says, in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. He says, this day the Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I'll smite you and I'll take your head from you and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Why? Look what he says, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And verse 47, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. He was jealous for the God of Israel, wasn't he? You could say what you want to. You're making a mockery of the children, his own children, his people, and you're defying the living God, the God of Israel. And he's the one that's given me salvation, that's brought our people out. This isn't going to happen. He's jealous for him. And we need to be that same way. He's jealous that the Philistine is mocking the very God he loves and any time the devil is coming against us in a trial and trying us to give up and saying that God's not going to, it's what he's doing to us, isn't he? Yeah. We've got to be jealous for him, the one who loved us and gave his life for us. So 2 Corinthians 1.20, the ESV version says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his Glory. Amen. You know, when you have somebody talking about your relatives, whether it's your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, if you really like them, doesn't it kind of bring something up into you? You know, you can't talk that way. I love them and I know what all they've done for me. If it's your friend, and that's what should be with us. I mean, if we really know the Lord Jesus Christ and love him for what he's done, and the devil's trying to come and say, well, what he did on the cross, that's not going to work for you. He's not going to come and help you. Something ought to rise up in you. Yes, yes, He will. He's promised to. He's not a liar. My Lord will not let me down. Amen. We should confidently be able to say that. We've got to have confidence that Jesus will keep His promises to us. You can't lose that. This is the confidence, the expectation, the faith that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We have got to have that confidence. We, we give that up, we may as well quit. And all of the things he's promised that he'll do for us, from healing to deliverance to peace to hope to joy to his presence being in our lives to directions he'll give us when we need it, all of that stuff. We've got to be willing to trust all of that. The contrast that we're seeing tonight between Saul and David is how they face their Goliath because Saul, we saw, was in the flesh and he was powerless, powerless against the enemy. But David, in contrast, and this is us, this should be us. He was in the spirit. He wasn't afraid. He was bold. He knew what to do. He doesn't hesitate. And he was zealous for the glory of God. And that's the choice We're faced with tonight, isn't it? And I would encourage all of us to just take the steps, whatever it takes for us to be in the Spirit. God's given us His Holy Spirit, hasn't He? And through that, He's given us the victory. He's given us the weapons we need that we can be victorious. We've got to have a renewed commitment if that's what it takes. And we can do that every day, renew our commitment to Him every day. We've really got to have much prayer. You're driving in your car. I haven't said this, so I'm going to say it again. Turn the radio off. Turn your music off at times. Or leave the music in the background and be praying in the Spirit. Or praying communion with the Lord. Just walking up the steps of your house. You can be talking, you can be praying then, can't you? I mean, there's just all kinds of times you're just walking around doing nothing. We can be so distracted by all this easy media, it's just ruining us. That's where we need to be different than other people, don't we? I say we really do want to be walking in the Spirit when things come and having that heart communion and spending time to feed on the Word of God. I'm just telling you, either God's a liar or we may as well quit because He says that if we diligently seek Him, He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. If we do those things, if we see what David did, the kind of life he lived, and we're willing to live that same way, there is no way things won't work for us. They will. I'm telling you, I will say that. You put a knife to my throat and say, take it back. or I'm, You slit my throat. I'm saying, I know that's the truth. and That's where we want to be. Amen. amen. Spirit-filled life. And we can conquer the Goliaths that come our way. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. All right. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the warnings you've given us in Saul. Lord, we just ask that you'll deliver for all of us from a life of the flesh. And bring us back, Lord, to a renewed commitment to you and putting you first committing our lives to you unto death, if it even means that, Lord, but that's the commitment we have to make, and just bring us back to people of prayer, people that are willing to obey you in all things, Lord, that our life is your life, and through that, Lord, we will see victory in this life, and we'll be a testimony to others to the glory of your name, and I just ask you will make us like that, Lord, all of us, that you'll deal with our hearts and speak to us through this example of David, a man after your own heart. And we thank you for doing that for us. In Jesus' name, amen.